Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my socially magnetic daughter and co-host Lauren Simonian, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed. Teaching you to become your own best coach. So Lauren, uh, you are magnetic. Are you polarized uh, positive or negative today? (laughs) I love that intro. Um, Definitely positive today after that lovely introduction. Yeah, I, I, just think that you are, you do have a magnetic personality. I've, I've seen that people just come by and they are magnetized. <laughs> what powers you possess as a human wow, being. Wow, thank you. Wow. I think the same about you, Father. <laughs> so, so which leads us into our topic today, which is improving social slash people skills. And we could all improve somewhat. I know you're at the top of your game, but there, there are some areas we can all improve in, right? Yes. Would you like to opine a bit? Um, yeah, let's opine a bit. So what do you think? What do you think? I mean, this is social, you know, socializing and, and just becoming more of a, a skilled people person. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big topic. Most people that I work with and that I feel are socially uh, deficient have poor eye contact and have a real problem. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let me ask, when you're speaking with someone who doesn't make good eye contact, how does that feel when you're talking and you see that they're unable to look at you? Mm. It it feels very dismissive. Yeah. Well, dismissive or weird. Uh, yeah I mean sometimes you wonder well you wonder where their head's at or they just want to be somewhere else they don't want to be talking to you so so eye contact is really critical I know in therapy I I keep constant eye contact and oh that's intense and it's effortless because it's just part of the the way you behave as a therapist you're you're looking for every nuance and even after a period of someone feeling a bit uncomfortable with that, they come to realize that, you know, that is an important part of the therapy, me observing and seeing everything I can in order to help. So, you know, sometimes you have to overcome that hesitation, either in being able to tolerate your own eye contact towards someone or someone else looking into your eyes. I think, and you tell me what you think, but I think it's just getting too much into your head. I think a lot of eye contact has to do with feeling nervous about looking someone in the eye, then you're thinking about looking someone in the eye, and then that becomes a burden. Mm. So, yes, agreed. I'm surprised that you keep constant eye contact, because I I think that's also, I, I don't think in normal social situations that there's that intensity where your eyes are just focused for the whole time. At least when we teach children, it's like you want to have about 80% of the time you want to be looking at someone's eyes, but you you can also blink and look away to allow for, you know, some normalcy, but I guess it's different in in therapy. Maybe it's not a hundred percent, but I would have to say that most of the time 
Uh, I'm, I'm making direct eye contact. Did you know that sure. um, in, most adults uh, make eye contact about 30 to 60% of the time? So, so it's really, huh. you know, it's really in that range, which is normal eye contact. But in an in a intimate relationship, it, it, it grows, especially if you're trying to form an infant intimate relationship and it goes from 30 to 60 to 60 to 70 percent so the more yeah. intimate you are the easier it is to maintain eye contact but eye contact is really interesting because i remember studying when i was learning about children with autism they talk about how eye contact is very very difficult if not impossible for children that have sensory issues and one of the reasons is because there's so much energy in the eyes mm. more than any other part of the body. So when they focus on the eyes, it's, it's too much to take in. And I think that, you know, on some level, even people without sensory issues, you, you feel the intensity of that. So I, I do believe it is a practice. Like you were saying, you can learn to, to, well, tolerate it and then actually enjoy that connection. Well, you, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You can learn to enjoy it, but you you really have to make a conscious decision. I know that uh, when I work with someone with social anxiety, you know, typically this is someone who puts the head down and avoids conflict. I'm thinking of, of one, one young lady I was working with a while back and she went to college and as she would walk down the halls, she would never, ever make eye contact with anyone. So if someone was coming by and wanting to smile or say hi, she would, she would miss it totally. Mm. Uh, lots of trouble, like eating in, in the cafeteria. She would never do that because self-consciousness about, you know, eating in front of people, uh, you know, making, you know, making more and more insecurity come into play is, is one way to have difficulty with social skills. So eye contact is important. I think that you know it's important to recognize that we need to we need to at least start to move in that direction. It may seem uncomfortable at first, but at least begin with making eye contact. But here's the key, and this is the hard part: stop thinking about making eye contact. And the best mm -hmm. way I could think of to minimize the overthinking about: Am I looking too much? Am I? I this is killing me. I can't stand. You know, one way to overcome that is to become deeply involved in the conversation, not how you're doing. Mm. I think, get it? Wow. I, that was a big think. I like that. <laughs> no, I think that um, I agree with you, like being very present in the conversation is helpful. But I definitely think that... Um, eye contact is vulnerable. For me, one of the things that I've done since I was a little kid, and I don't know why or if other people do this or if it's totally weird, but I take both of my eyes and I focus them on one eye of the other person. Hmm. And I don't know, because I used to have issues with like a lazy yeah, eye. Yeah. So I don't know if it's because of that, because I, but somehow it, it helps me to focus when I look at just one eye, because if I look at both eyes at the same time, it actually does make me uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to guess that is related. I mean, you wore a patch for so many years as a child, <laughs> no, no, but, but I, seriously, and I think <laughs> I think that that does sensitize you in a sense. Uh, the reason I would say it's not a good idea is because you're you're actively trying to engage your eyes rather than engaging the conversation. Mm. So I think you know my tendency is 
make eye contact and then make empathetic contact. See, I, Got it. I think I think we have to relate. When I say empathetic, you really do need, if you want to be good at social skills, I don't think you could fake it till you make it. I, I mean, you could start out that way, but I think if you really want to become a, a, a kind of a sensitive uh, person who does well with people, I think you have to really learn to really listen. How, mm -hmm. how important is really listening? Mm, so important. Yeah, and actually very few people really listen. <laughs> It's a skill that not everybody has, but I think the people that do have it, it people like gravitate towards those yeah. other, those people. Can you repeat that? I wasn't really listening. But... <laughs> You're not. Oh, yeah. Are you looking at both of my no. eyes right now? No, yes, I am. I, I'm looking okay. at your eyes and I'm not. Okay. Let me see what happens if I look at just one of your. We're on screens together, Lauren, and I went out in the same studio. And I'm looking at your eyes right now. See, but but all of a sudden, as soon as I do that, I'm thinking about looking at your eyes. I'm not. You are. See, I think because it's just been something I've done for so long. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it would help someone if they're, you know, really let, trying. Let me to... try looking at one one of your eyes. Hmm. Just look at one. Oh my gosh. And when you just look at one, it looks like you're looking at both. Hmm. Just for that. Okay, then this is getting creepy. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, so anyway, so uh, we're, we're talking about eye contact, but well, no, now we're talking about active listening, active listening, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. Let's stay with that. That's good. You want to take, take the lead on that or would you like me mm, to take sure. the lead? The lead. Uh, yeah. Active listening is something that I have been really trying to get better at because it's, it's difficult because it, it really does make you come out of your head. Like you were saying, and in order to actively listen, you have to be receptive to what the other person is saying without formulating any sort of response or reaction in your own mind. Uh -huh. um, and without trying to make what the other person is saying about you. Hmm. So it is actually much harder than it sounds. Well, let's unpack that. You said some really interesting stuff. Let's go back to the last thing you said about not making it about you. Don't you think that for a lot of people that struggle socially on any level or to any degree, that they're so concerned about making a good impression. You know, it's not necessarily arrogance or, or self-centeredness. It's really sometimes fear about just wanting to measure up to the conversation or be okay and present yourself in a certain way and not stumble and not shoot yourself in the foot. So, so basically what drives that is a sense of insecurity. So that pulls you out of the conversation directly. And anything that pulls you out of the conversation pulls you away from active listening, as you say. And, and you're right. Mm. Active listening is a key. And it takes you. The reason it's so valuable, too, is because it pulls you out of your head and all that stuff that's spinning around, all those insecurities. It pulls you out of your head and you actively begin to become involved in the give and take of the conversation. Mm hmm. Yeah. And they say that one way to really practice it is while you're listening to someone else speak to the only thing that you should try and do is make sense of what that person is saying. And after they're done talking, you can clarify by reiterating something they said, like validating something like, wow, that must have been really difficult for you. I hear the way you talk about this or or you could ask like a clarifying question, but you're not trying to respond 
mm-hmm. from your own experience. You're not trying to say like, oh, that's just like the time that I had this oh, difficult yeah. situation too. That, that you know. I, I hate that. <laughs> when someone <laughs> they hijack your conversation you know it's like you're saying yeah i went to uh i went to yellowstone national yellowstone park. national park and i went and i saw and as soon as you start to talk oh yeah i went there twice and and, <laughs> and, and they they kind of hijack the conversation and take off with it so it's kind mm-hmm. of feeling like someone stole from you you know what i mean do you, do you feel that way yeah I do. And I, I think that someone who's really actively listening is like, giving like me, me right yeah. now, right? Yes. With your eye contact and everything. Yeah. <laughs> but it gives you the opportunity to really express yourself without feeling dismissed in some way. Yeah. Um, and so that I think truly creates this connection that's deeper than yeah, the a typical. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, so so we, we we need to really again abandon the insecurities, the the overthinking, the rehearsing of what we're going to say. A lot of people do that as as someone is talking, they're actually rehearsing their next line, and yes. and and when you do that, it's so obvious that you aren't really paying attention. I think that you know, like you and I right now when we do our podcasts, uh, I think I think we we try hard to. To, to kind of listen to each other, um, me much more so than you. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've gotten better because while I try active listening in real life, when we started off with the podcast, I used to have all these notes that I would prepare ahead of time. And ah, yeah. it actually took me out of the conversation and into my head. And it was much harder to really listen when you were talking because I was thinking about, well, what am I going to say next? And often that felt very disjointed yeah. and I wasn't present for what you were saying, which really kind of messes up the dynamic. Yeah, let me give you a little advice, Lauren, if you don't mind. Sure, some fatherly advice. Bring back the notes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, fine. Oh, uh, you know, let's 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 take a few more uh, things that I feel are almost ubiquitous or universal when it comes to uh, problems with social skills. What about small talk? That's such a problem for so many people. Let's say you're at a party. Now, you probably don't have this, right? You you come up to a stranger and boom, you're into a conversation and all this kind of stuff. Sometimes some people just can't do it. They, they worry so much about what am I going to say? What do I have to talk? And it, and it just freezes them from even approaching someone. And, you know, small talk is important to master in order to get to bigger talk or more expansive yes. talk. But how, how do you have any idea how we can help someone who has a real disability when it comes to starting a conversation? For example, how do you like the weather today? I mean, that could be catalytic to get into a lot of things. But for some people, they may have a, a kind of, um, you know, starter sentence but, but they can't get beyond that because the, mm. what, what do you think about small talk? Are you a good small talker? I think I'm a decent small talker. I don't really enjoy small talk, but like you say, it often can help you. It could be the catalyst from deeper conversation. Yeah. So I typically, well, I think compliments are one way to just like really quickly form a connection to somebody and you can sort of read from the person's reaction whether or not they want mm-hmm. to continue a conversation because typically they will respond 
and give you like a jumping off point. But another thing that I think is really great. And my husband says this all the time. He's like, ask a question, make a friend. It's like, when you ask people questions about themselves, like everyone really does love talking about themselves. Even people that are anxious or socially uncomfortable. I think there's still this need for all humans to share about their own life experience in some way. So I, I, I think that that's true. And there's this Zen mantra that's sort of, you have a note now you're reading from a note. No, no, I'm just, it, I, I wish, um, since you don't like my active listening skills anyway, but there's this Zen uh, teaching that says, you know, go about the world as if everyone you encounter is your teacher. And so when you're listening to somebody and they're sharing something about their life, try to learn something that you didn't know before. And um, that's one way of getting out of your head and really focusing on what the other person is sharing. I don't know. No, no, that's absolutely true. Uh, if if we value what someone is saying as opposed to defending ourselves in a conversation, but but I I loathe, I have to admit, I loathe small talk. It's not that I can't do it, but it is something that comes from a consciousness that I have to invest a bit into making small talk i don't it, you know it's like yeah the weather's great today and boy it's been it's been really chilly and you know so what i do is you know i'm i'm not a i don't love small talk i don't like chit chat i don't like gossip i don't like but what i do is i i realize that for me small talk is a vehicle and i need to get to real talk so I start out with small talk and then I get to what I'm calling real talk. And what I mean by that is that, you know, as you say, I might get someone to talk about themselves or I might get it going towards a, a, an area that is much more pertinent and much more with some depth. Of course, you just meet somebody and it's not going to be like an intimate friend, but I'll bring it to something with some substance. Where I see this a lot is when I work with adolescents and they're talking about going out on a date and they're really frozen with, you know, uh, what do I say? How do I approach somebody? And so small talk is an art form in itself, but it's, you have to see it more as a trigger. If you get mired in small talk, it'll become boring for everybody, right? True. I see you Can smile. I share something why, with why you, are you Why are you smiling? <laughs> Because, so I, when you brought up dating, um, I have this funny story because my friend Aaron and I, when we were dating oh, Aaron, in the city, our, our, our fact checker, our, our official fact checker, yeah, she had, um, she had had this experience with her family where she had gone out to dinner and it was a it was a restaurant that had real candles that had flames on top. And so one of the candles had fallen over and I think the tablecloth caught on fire and, and they had to turn it off. Right. So she had told me this story right before I was going out on a date with someone I had never met before. And when we were out on the date, it, there was this awkward silence and, and I didn't have anything else. We had already talked about the weather and there was nothing else that I could think of to say. And so I wound up telling the story about the candle and it totally like sparked this whole conversation that came from that pyromaniac, candle story. Pyromaniac yeah. kind of discussion. <laughs> exactly. So I wound up telling Erin about it. I'm like, wow, that candle story really saved me. And so both of us moving forward, 
every time we went on a new date, we had that story like in our back pocket. And so if there was ever an awkward moment, we would tell the story about the candles because it always would, you know, it related to, you know, you were on a date out at a restaurant. So there were candles on the table and we would always talk about like, oh my gosh, this is a really big liability. Uh, And so somehow I know that sounds so stupid, but we both felt really comfortable knowing that we had this story that was like a little bit interesting. It had to do with the conversation and where we were in the moment and it would kind of lure someone in so I think it you know everyone could kind of think of a story that could be their go-to story that could relate to anybody and it could kind of help you feel safe that if you run into a dead end you have this go-to story that could help the story could be anything I just think that you know the the weather is everyone's Mm go-to and nowadays like what are you doing for the holidays but there could be something with a little more substance or a little more depth. I know in the in the show Friends, they uh, have the same sort of situation where they tell this story about going hiking through the woods and getting lost or something. And it's not even a real story. It's just their go-to dating story that kind of pulls people into a conversation that's deeper than yeah, how's the weather. Okay. Well, I think, I think, you know, first of all, we, when we start out with small talk, we're trying to find some mutually shared reality. And that's why the weather is always a go-to. Uh, I think that the, the next step, if you want to take it beyond that to transition and segue into something better for, for two people, uh, would be to provide some personal context. So that's what I usually do. I usually find a way to inject something of myself to not just be talking about the weather, but to share. And I think as soon as you share something about yourself, it opens up kind of more of a trust in the other person because you're you're handing something of yourself over and you're allowing that person to see that you're investing, you know, a little bit deeper into the conversation. So we do want to segue from small talk to again, yeah. to real talk. And, and I think you have to be willing to risk, you know, laying a little bit of yourself out there. Like, yeah, that really frightens me. And I remember one time, so, you know, to be able to share a bit of your personal advice is one way to get the other person to feel a bit more relaxed with you. Agreed. Yeah. I think vulnerability, like being able to share what your true feelings or your true understanding is of something allows for connection like you have to also be a little bit brave to be vulnerable so I think people respect it when you do share your true feelings yeah not everyone some people feel uh, uncomfortable if you share too much so it's it's really a bit of practice is necessary you know but a little bit of sharing I think is important and I think that you know sometimes when you become an active listener as you say uh, aside from sharing a little bit about yourself, it helps to kind of reinforce or positively reinforce the other person and what they're telling you. So if the other person joins you in that and, and shares a bit of themselves, you know, I, I think it's important to to really acknowledge and, and kind of reinforce and, and give a positive response. And that's the give and take of a relationship, at least even a beginning relationship. Sometimes, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people are people, and, and and that's a profound statement. I know you're probably yeah, that was you're, a big one. you're probably writing that down right now as we speak. But uh, and I've said this once before on one of our podcasts. I I use I jog, and, and I know you're a jogger too. And and I would go out and run the streets of uh, Crestkill. I would pass people, and uh, invariably someone would put their head down, 
And I would kind of turn away and run past them. And, and one day I thought to myself, well, you know, is that necessary? So I decided to experiment. And as I run from that point to this day, whenever I pass someone on the road or on the street, I will always put my hand up in a wave and say, hey, how you doing today? And 100% of the time, I'm, I'm trying to think of an exception. I don't think there is one. That person whose head was down, and that's invariably head down. Most people avoid eye contact when you're jogging past them. You can find that out for yourself. And invariably, they put their head up, big smile, and I get a hi, how you doing right back. So I think everyone wants to be invited into the, the world of humanity and, and not feel vulnerable or having to avoid such things as social interaction. I think most people have a desire for that. And if you open the door to that and offer that to somebody, I don't think you'll be disappointed in other areas other than jogging on the street. So what's holding people back from being the one who's saying hello first? Is it just insecurity? Yeah, while people a, are walking around with their heads down? Yeah, it's a manifestation of that. I think for most people, and I'm going to generalize, I think for most people, they're not sure how they'll be received or whether mm -hmm. they'll be rejected or whether they'll, you know, it's, so it's that uncertainty. People like control. So if you keep your head down and never say anything, you're in complete control. But if you venture to lift your head up, smile and wave to somebody, that person may not wave back. You see, there are no certainties once you open up and invest yourself. Let's say you're uh, you're going up an elevator with someone and they're right across from you, and you, you know, you're just face to face, but not really looking at each other. Well, I would I would generally at least smile or say something about nice day or something like that. But for someone, someone who's insecure enough, uh, they may feel like this could be terribly dangerous because what if I say something and that person turns away or says, shut up, and, and you have to drive up, you know, 15 more floors together. So I think people, well, go ahead. I, I, I'm thinking about that. And I recently have been in some elevators. Yay. And... <laughs> But I only ever go up a couple of floors, like to floor three, let's just say. And so if someone comes on the elevator with their head down, I typically won't say hello if they're looking down, because part of me is like reading their body language. And I don't necessarily want to put my own social needs onto them, you know? So there's also, I don't know. I wonder, like, how do you respect someone else's boundaries while also being friendly and socially well, adept. It's, it's a good point. And that's where you have to uh, recognize that not everybody's going to be in a place to respond. And that's why it's so critically important to not take it personally. So if, if one of these days I go by running and someone does not wave and say hi back to me, you know, part of me might feel like I've been rejected or something, but that would be the neurotic part of me. I mean, that person, you know, may, may have just, you know, got bitten by the family cat. I don't know. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and if that's the case, they're not really, they're not really available to be friendly at that moment. So you have to really risk not taking things personally, if you're going to be mm -hmm. successful at, sure. at communicating. Very true. You know, one of the things that has always, always, always worked for me, and I don't know about you, but it's a sense of humor. 
I think when you inject humor, whether it be in the small talk aspects of the conversation or the evolving conversation, for some reason, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, everyone loves humor to be happy, to laugh. Everyone loves a good joke and not even a, a, a you know, a, a, a joke that's rehearsed, but, but just, just to be able to laugh at life a little bit, to, to just have a good time with someone. How, how important mm -hmm. do you think humor is in, in your communicating? I think it's really important because it definitely breaks the ice for people. It allows them others to feel more comfortable because it lightens the mood a little bit, like and instantly too. Um, but you you are really good at humor. Like I I feel like my sense of humor is mm, <laughs> not quite as evolved. Um, <laughs> like only certain people find me funny, where I think everyone finds you funny. So I think it's harder for some people, well, more harder than it is for well, you. Let me interrupt a second, and I appreciate the compliment. Uh, I think mm. that you you have a sense of humor, a good sense of humor. But I also think that someone that appreciates humor, like I know I know. You've told me many times that you do appreciate the laughs we have together. And, and I think that being able to involve yourself in the humor, to be able to really laugh and enjoy the humor, even if you're not producing it, is part sure. of having a humor uh, aspect of your personality. So, you know, you don't have to stand up and do five minutes of your best stuff when you meet somebody. But I, but I, <laughs> you could, I mean, you could, I don't know. But but I, I think I think that you it's like the candles, right? You, there's your sense of humor. It's it's certainly not absent. You you well, that wasn't supposed to be funny. That no, was but, just but, you, but you bring it up in a context of making everyone else laugh. So you're using sure. life as a catalyst to get people to laugh with you. And, and I think mm -hmm. that's good. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And I think also you know, while I'm not necessarily good at telling jokes per se, um, like you said, being lighthearted and ready to laugh and, and sort of have a lighter view on, on the world, it kind of softens people around you. And also being able to laugh at yourself a little bit too, like not take things so, so seriously. That's right. That's um, right. That's so yeah. But not in like a self-deprecating way where you put yourself down because I think that makes other people uncomfortable yeah, when yeah. you're constantly talking about, you know, all the reasons that you're, yeah, you're right. Self-deprecation is not a wonderful thing. It's, it's important sometimes because it can be humorous. Uh, I, I think that my self-deprecating comes a lot from telling lame jokes. You know, why did the possum cross the road? Why? What was the chicken's day off? Oh, that's really bad. See what you, I mean? you have better than that. <laughs> no, I know that. But, but the fact that it can be so lame that it, it 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 just elicits that kind of reaction. Like, but but it draws you into someone because it's silly as that would be. Why did the what did the fish say when it ran into the concrete wall? Oh, I like this one. Damn. It said, damn. Yeah. See? So, but that brings you into a, a kind of conversation with someone that brings in another aspect of personalities, of having fun, of just being joyful. So, so sense of humor, humor is important and flexible thinking is important. You know, maybe someone has a different opinion than you. Well, if you're not going to go far as being a great conversationalist if you say, oh, no, I, that, that's ridiculous. So keeping an open mind and being able to kind of, you know, ping pong back and forth is a way to go forward. You don't want to, you know, burn out relationships before they might even happen. I'm going to challenge yeah. you a bit. 
I'm going to let's talk about certain types of people. Now we can't mention names, of course, and everyone <laughs> listening to this will have someone that will come into mind. Uh, for example, someone who is, uh, say, overly shy, wallflowers, people who recede into the corner, they, they're, they're kind of what, what I might call mousy when it comes to wanting to talk or engage in small talk. We, we all kind of know people like that. And if you, if you get an image of someone like that in your mind, it can kind of help you realize, am I like that? Am I a little like that? What other kind of people do you think, you know, the archetypal types? So the so the the self-deprecating, shy, insecure wallflower is maybe one archetypal type. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another the opposite of that almost would be the person who's like very arrogant mm -hmm. and kind of knows it all. And ah, typically those kind of people never stop talking. They yes, have no awareness yes. of the fact that no one's interested in what they're saying. Oh my god, um, I hate that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yes, that, yeah. oh, like, that's the hardest conversation to be in. And you know, as your mind starts to say, someone save me. And yes, yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And and especially the stronger the opinion, and if those opinions Oof. happen to be different from your own, I mean like, uh, help. You set up little yeah. And and most couples have those little distress signals, honey, save me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have a code word or something when you're around those people. Um, but I would say, just to backtrack for a second, I think that people with opinions, like it can be really great if you have opinions, but also have an open mind. Like I think the best kind of social conversations are the ones yeah. where you're having like healthy debates. Um, that Those are my favorites, yeah, that, where you can really talk about deep things and not take things personally. Like you don't necessarily... Um, you don't identify with your opinions. Yeah. It's like you present them as ideas. And that's, and that's why I say be more flexible. I did, I did want to mention that, you know, you, oh, the opinionated, arrogant person. Yeah, that was good. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, sure. But some of the reasons why we stay mired in our lack of communication skills is that some of us are afraid of being too talkative, you know, not understanding boundaries, you know, I, you know, I, I, I just go prattle, no, I shouldn't say prattle, I'll, I'll pine for, for lengthy <laughs> periods of time and people won't like that. Or there may be an awkward silence. What will I say if all of a sudden we wind up just looking at each other and I have nothing to say? Or, or just feeling that you're unlikable, that maybe you don't trust your own skills or person that you are. So, you know, there are lots of reasons why people just shy away from developing these skills and they are skills. They require practice, practice, practice. This is a conscious decision to venture out of your own cocoon and develop these skills. If you keep looking down and avoiding eye contact, you'll never develop appropriate eye contact. So small talk is just an entree level to bigger talk. And I think it's important that we realize just how important a skill this is. And it all mm -hmm. it all comes down to developing a self-trust muscle. You know, we need to yeah. trust ourselves in conversation. And I think you, in some ways, you could kind of turn it into a little bit of a challenge or a game for yourself, because I, earlier you said the idea of fake it till you make it can't really work. And I kind of agree because people really feel when you're genuine and you're actually concerned about the conversation. But in some ways, I think if you notice the people around you that have social skills that you admire or who can like kind of 
can not control a room, but, you know, get, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people engaged in conversation. And um, I'm thinking of my brother, actually, Justin, I think he's one of the most socially adept people I know, mm -hmm. because he can make you feel he makes you feel like the only person in the room when it's like a huge party and he can also get everyone in the room to communicate at one time like he's just he's very skilled that way and I look to him to learn you know you can watch nuances and you can actually practice them for yourself and uh, use that as sort of a challenge like when I go to this dinner party I'm going to try and see if I could practice that skill and see and just be curious like does that work do I yeah yeah and, and I think you're right observing people that are adept is one way to start formulating your own strategies. But one of the things, remember I talked before about running and, and passing people and saying, hi, how you doing? And everyone responds. Mm -hmm. uh, something else came to me and that's uh, with, with Uncle Ronnie and I, we, we, go to, we, we have been going to the Giant Games before COVID. One of the things that always impressed me is, you know, if the Giants score one of those uh, kind of rare touchdowns, everybody, you know, you don't know the guy next to you or the girl next to you or the person behind you, but all of a sudden everybody's hugging each other and high-fiving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's like, you know, when you have a shared experience with someone, it's so much easier to relate and put your guard down. And that's why, you know, when you start to get involved in, in communicating with someone, you need to get to a point where you're actually sharing a common ground. That's where it becomes the high five and the, you know, maybe not a big hug or anything, but, but the more you realize that people are of that ilk, this is what people are genuinely like given the opportunity. I think it's more encouraging than for you to realize that you need to risk coming out of your shell. Yes. Now, uh, I, I, I dread to bring this up, but because uh, I know we've, we've gone a bit long here in our opining, but do you know what time it is? Seriously. I do. It's two o'clock. No, no, no. It is. So coaching pep talk time. And today's pep talk is becoming a better communicator. Becoming a better communicator means learning to overcome emotional hesitation by developing your self-trust muscle. And self-trust begins with a willingness to risk connecting with others. You can keep it simple at first, perhaps just a nod or a smile as you pass someone on the street or at the office. Find out that the world doesn't end if you open yourself up to others. So stop holding your head down, avoiding others, make yourself connect stop acting like you're so vulnerable that you have to protect yourself from well from what be honest stop running stop hiding start realizing that with practice your self-trust muscle will grow your confidence will grow and your world will no longer be hijacked by insecurity and what exactly is self-trust it's a willingness to risk believing in yourself does it work? Well, let's just ask Dr. Seuss. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. 98 and three quarters percent guaranteed. Did Dr. Seuss say that in most response to your question? <laughs> I was talking to him this morning. All right. uh, I was channeling him this morning. He, I was going to say, I don't know. He's no longer still, around yeah. and about. And Dr. Okay. Seuss said, look, if you're going to talk about, you know, taking a risk uh, and, and, you know, use my, you, use this. And then he told me that and huh. I, I wrote it down. 
Yes, indeed. So you're, yes, indeed. 98 and three quarters percent guaranteed. So your social skills extend from the human plane <laughs> into the heavenly realm? Uh, most certainly. Most okay, certainly. good to know. Yeah. To so know. we've we've not yammered, we've not prattled, we have opined. Is there we any is opined. there anything we left out? I mean, this is we could go on maybe we should do another episode on this. This was a, <laughs> no no there could be a lot more uh opining on this subject. Um, Don't you think? I think so too. Yeah. Uh mm, I I think that we've said it before, but I think the number one thing I think of when I am in social situations is I try to remind myself to stay very present, which I think we kind of hit on when we talked about the active listening to try and get out of your own head. But it is really hard and rare that you're fully present in a social situation. So, and, and I think people actually feel the shift when you go from being in your head to being present in the moment and just like being there and experiencing the conversation, as opposed to like thinking about it there's like a very active shift that can be felt um yeah and people like being in the company of those that are present and fully engaged i guess the one thing that i try to stay conscious of is is not trying to be too interesting you know sometimes we we want to Mm. you know puff ourselves up a little bit and you know sometimes you know you have to humble yourself to be part of the conversation where it's at you don't have to sell yourself uh, that's a real danger when you when you find yourself trying to sell yourself. Insecurity will start that rolling, and and then you, therefore you feel well. You know, I better I better tell them I I I have a you know a trophy from fishing one day, and I, I got this. You know, and you start amplifying and trying to get the other person <laughs> to love you by telling them how great you are. Yeah, then you turn into the arrogant guy who no. never stops talking that we talked about earlier. That's true. Not you, but. <sighs> the- the proverbial you. So anything, <laughs> you know, I, I'm done opining today. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I think yeah. my opining is complete as well. You know, just talk fast because we're running three hours over. So mm, I don't really have anything else to say. Oh, very good. Okay. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for communicating and thanks for giving me good eye contact vis-a-vis Zoom screens. Vis-a-vis uh, one eye. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, a lot of people not may not realize we're not in this high tech studio on you know the seventy fifth floor of the RCA building or something. Yeah, I am officially in the coat closet. Okay. <laughs> no, shh, don't say that. Shh. Okay, okay. And visit yeah, our. So, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go. I, I just wanted you to interrupt. Confirm, like, no, no, do you, you want just me... wanted to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> do you want me to bring notes back next week, or no, do you no, want? No, okay, no, all right. Not. I was just kidding. You I'm know me with my sense of humor. <laughs> Yeah, the possum and the chicken. Yep. All right, All cool. Right. And visit our website, selfcoaching.net, where you can learn more about our self-coaching philosophy. And while you're there, please check out my latest number one best-selling book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless and you are not powerless. So remember, everything's hard until you make it simple. So join Lauren, who will only look you one, at one of your <laughs> eyes and me every week. <laughs> and let's, so let's make it simple together. <laughs> Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, life is what you make.
yourself Reach out for your dreams Don't surrender